Um, if you have a Bible, turn t- with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't, there's one in front of you in the chair. Welcome to turn there. A couple verses I want to read real quickly to share with you a new part of our members meeting we're going to begin doing each time we gather. So 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body, meaning our physical bodies, is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they're many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, were all made to drink of one spirit. And jump down to verse 25. Or maybe halfway through 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked, that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We just did that together, didn't we? Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. One of the ways the Bible frequently talks about the church, and this is an example, is to compare the body of Christ with his body, the people, and to talk about us as arms or hands or eyes or feet, and that God has placed us in the body to represent Christ well. The mechanism for that, if you will, is, is this word, member or, or membership. And just like uh, you are fully aware of your members of your body, so we're to be fully aware of the members of our church. That's part of what uh, Paul is saying. If you lost an arm, you would know it. Correct? I lost a leg for a while, and I certainly knew it. So the the image is that we're so interconnected as a, a family of faith, to mix our metaphors a little bit, that we're functioning just like our physical bodies do. It's really a beautiful picture. Our uh, leadership team, each time we gather, takes time to pray for members. We could pray through the directory. And uh, we also take time to discuss what we, what we call a care list. People who um, haven't been around in a while, people who have experienced some kind of difficulty, People are in special need of prayer and care, and we'll regularly be talking through um, that list of people. Part of that discussion for us for quite a while now has been who is God bringing in as new members and who is departing for some various reasons. And so we thought it would be beneficial to take a moment or two in our members' meetings, beginning tonight, to look at that list uh, together simply for the sake of saying, um, here is uh, the body of Christ known as Church on Mill. Here's who the Lord in his grace is adding to our number. And here are people who, uh, for one reason or another, have moved on. And so hopefully when you came in, you picked up a directory. If not, feel free to get that when you leave. They're on the, what do we call that thing? 
credenza in the tiniest lobby in the world. Uh, but grab one of those, and we hope that you'll use that not merely as a way through which to get um, contact information, but literally as a way through which to pray for all the members of uh, the body of Christ. So with that as an introduction, here on the screens will be uh, some new members, so I won't take the time to read through all of them, but these are people who have all joined the church family since last members meeting, so since January. These are folks who have joined. There's a good pile of them, is there not? Yes, isn't that great news? So God is continuing to add to the family. We've said this in each Sunday morning where these people were announced, but uh, these are folks that are intentionally going out of their way to say, God has made me a part of the universal church, a member of the, the body of Christ, all believers everywhere. And scripturally speaking, that commitment to Christ universally is to be personified in a particular local church. And so membership in a church is saying, God has brought me here, and as Christ has committed to me and saved me, now I want to commit to you and invite you to help me walk faithfully with Christ. All of these people have made that commitment, and we would encourage you to pursue them. If you're in the room, would you stand up? This was unplanned, but I'm going to ask you. I think, Jessica, reasonably speaking, people would have understood what I meant. Morgan and Carla. This is Andrew and Rebecca. Who else is here? I'm just wanting to put faces with names. In the back, Roxanne. Great. Anyone else in this pile? Okay. So pursue these people. Invest in them. We believe they're your brothers and sisters. And uh, we hope just as you have loved and served Roger and Jennifer for all these years, that you would do the same with these. There are also a couple of people who are outgoing members. They are on the screen as well. There is uh, five of them. Some of them you've likely heard from. Maybe some of them you have not. So these are new members and outgoing members. Any questions about why we would bring this up or um, any suggestions or questions about any person in particular? Yes, ma'am. pleasure. Jessica says she likes it a lot. <laughs> Thanks. Anybody else? Yes. Sure. Uh, Randy asked any specific ways that um, you can pray for these people. Uh, Chuck, you heard from on Easter Sunday. Chuck took a job in uh, temporarily in Lexington, Kentucky. We'll eventually be moving somewhere on the East Coast and um, getting married. So just pray for him as he searches for a new home in his new town, which will then be uh, uprooted again when he moves. He took a job with his brother 
and uh, is very excited about that opportunity. So just faithful encouragement for him. It's hard to start over again in, in a new place. Um, Miss Ayel and Alexis were also members here for a long time. They are both attending um, another church together. Uh, you can pray for them relative to their marriage. That would be something you could be in prayer for for them. And Daniel and Sasha bought a house a long ways from here on the other side of the valley and made the drive for a while, but um, eventually that becomes cumbersome to um, the way in which we seek to do church is more than sitting in a gathering for an hour once a week. And distance makes that difficult. So uh, they are, um, last time I talked to them, they were visiting um, First Bap- no, North Phoenix Baptist Church, and that's much closer to them. I don't know if they'll end up landing there or not, but you can pray for that search for them. Anybody have any more recent information than that? Their son turned two. Yes. Thank you. I like that. Yeah. Other? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, great question. If I could summarize it, help me if this is incorrect. Just asking essentially what happens when, when someone's not around. Do, do they get pursued? Um, do we learn from them reasons why they may have left? Um, yes. Uh, a couple th- things briefly, and perhaps another time we could spend more in-depth time about that. Uh, m- membership, uh, I have moved personally from believing is... Um, unbiblical and unhelpful to being the most significant commitment somebody makes outside of the, co- the commitment to follow Christ. And really, the commitment to a local church is ultimately bound up in the commitment to follow Christ. So we would understand that it's our responsibility as a family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, to be encouraging, supporting, pursuing one another. And so uh, we wouldn't relegate that solely to uh, tasks of leaders behind the scenes, but would see it first and foremost as our responsibility towards one another. And so if, if you ever hear of somebody um, leaving, um, not everybody leaves unhappily. Uh, the Hottons would be an example of that, um, or Chuck would be an example of that. Uh, then if there's ways in which we can learn from that departure and uh, even more, ways in which we could learn from, pursue, and seek reconciliation. That would certainly be the desire. So let's communicate often about that. That's part of the reason to bring it up in this setting. Um, We, as a procedure, as a leadership team, by praying through those names and and developing and keeping a care list, I think are developing an increasing ability to be aware of when someone is not here and to seek them out. Um, So... um, there would be active communication with people long before it would ever come up in a public setting like this. So all of those people and, and many more who have left for various reasons prior to the last members meeting have, have been pursued from members and from leaders and sought. Um, this is a bit of a, uh, maybe a f- too formal of a way to say it, but I think it summarizes it well, an exit interview. So. Um, In our current membership class 
the, the final commitment that somebody makes when they join is, I don't remember exactly the way it's worded, but essentially it says, um, by committing here to Church on Mill, we're committing to, as soon as God moves us somewhere else, to pursue membership in another church. And so we would understand our commitment to these people to be in place until they are fully invested in a new church setting. And so there would be periodic emails, text, phone calls, following up on that discussion, those commitments, until someone makes the decision to join another place. So those are a few ways. Uh, there's more. Does that get at what you were asking? It's a very important question. Other questions? All right, so please do be praying for uh, these people, and uh, thank you for your commitment to them. Now, with no further ado, bylaws proposal. Um, If you did not receive a copy of the proposed bylaws, would you please raise your lovely hand, and Tad and Julie will bring you a copy. If you did not receive a copy when you came in, please raise your hand, and Tad and Julie will bring you a copy. All right. Everyone have the document. Great. Now here's what I want to ask you, please, in all graciousness and sincerity. Would you please set it down for a few minutes? Okay? We will have ample time for you to read it, four months in fact. It will be on the website, um, but we only have a few moments together. So I'd love to visit with you a little bit about what's sitting next to you or in your lap. And let's also look at a, a scripture together, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. I'd like to spend about 30 minutes introducing what you hold, and then we will go from there. Psalm 23. I wonder if there's someone who would be willing to read that for us. Andrew, come on up. Bonus points if you haven't memorized. We don't play for bonus points, (laughs) Jessica. Psalm 23. This is Andrew Soto. He was on that list. Thank you. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. He did that well, didn't he? So perhaps John 3.16 is more well-known 
but there is not another scripture besides Psalm 23 that is more often cited. Brothers and sisters, as this passage says so clearly, God is our shepherd. God is your shepherd. And he's the perfect shepherd. He always does what is best and is what is best for his sheep. Now, for the 99% of us that didn't grow up with sheep, perhaps a few comments about the image. In ancient Israel, shepherds would lead their flocks to clean water. They would feed them from good pastures. They would protect them from wolves and go after the sheep who unknowingly wandered away. In summary, they would care for their sheep by tending to their needs. The psalm is saying that God does that for us. Isn't that amazing? The creator, the ruler, the all-knowing God of the universe says, I am your shepherd. I pray that never gets old for us. But how is it that God does the work of shepherding his people? Well, to answer that, we need a little bit more precise information about who God is. And so let's turn to John 10 together. John 10, Roger alluded to John earlier. We read from John this morning. John is appearing yet again. And could we get another fabulous, wonderful person to come and read from John 10? The whole thing. No, Jenny, come on up. Jenny's going to read... John 10, 7 to 11. And as she does, would you think about who does this say is our shepherd? So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Thank you, Jenny. So the the Bible, um, big theologians call this progressive revelation. The Bible over time tells us more and more and more and more about God and his plan. So what we see early in the story as uh, seeds, perhaps, begin to to sprout and flourish as the story of the Bible moves on. So who is our shepherd? Jesus. And what kind of shepherd is he? He's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He laid down his life for us, for the sheep. The shepherd became the slaughtered one so that the sheep could have life. And the kind of life Jesus gives is abundant life, the kind of life that would bring us here and enable us to hear the kinds of things we've already heard tonight. Now jump down to verse 27. It says, my sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus talking. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. 
Brothers and sisters, we are eternally safe in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. God's people will never be snatched away from Jesus. We're secure in him. You heard that in Roger's story, didn't you? You see that in your own story. And as we live together as brothers and sisters, we will see it and hear it in each other's stories. We've experienced it as a church. Jesus is our good shepherd. We hear him and we follow him. Now, what does our shepherd do? Well, if we try to um, collect what the scriptures tell us, some of the things it says that Jesus does is he saves us, he teaches us, he guides us, he protects us, he feeds us, he leads us. So, again, we come back to the question, though, how does Jesus do that? Well, in one sense, there's this hidden work that he does in the secret places of each of our hearts. We, we sit with our Bibles and in prayer, and as we do that, we hear from God. God himself, the shepherd, speaks to his sheep. Wow! What, what we hold isn't a stale book. It is the very power of God. It's the very word of God. And so, Part of the way that the shepherd cares for his sheep is he shares his good word with us. And every time we open it, whether we have an emotional experience or not, sometimes we will, sometimes we won't. If it is God speaking his good word to us, he loves us perfectly, he sustains us. So in one way, God cares for his sheep individually. Scripture tells us he goes after the one that wanders away. And rejoices when he finds that sheep. But in another sense, and one emphasized more frequently in the Bible, is that he does this through the corporate life of the church family. As I mentioned this morning, most of us here in the room became Christians through the influence of another person. And probably all of us are encouraged and increasingly helped by our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's God's design. That is the shepherd caring for the sheep through the sheep. Now, who would have ever thought that up? Only one who knew we need the exercise of um, self-forgetfulness and service towards each other in order that we would grow. It's part of God's brilliant design. We flourish as God's sheep as we are part of God's flock, not as lone sheep out wandering around on our own. So, again, to mix the metaphor, as I did a few minutes ago, another way the Bible describes this is the church as the body of Christ. We're members of one another. That's how close and intimate our connection is. So, how does the, the shepherd describe himself? Psalm 23 says it so beautifully, wonderfully. And who is that shepherd? It's Jesus. And how does he care for us? Well, partly just... In the miraculous interchange of the shepherd directly with a single sheep. Incredible. But mainly, as we gather together here and in other places, as God's people, as his sheep, and serve one another, be the body of Christ to one another. And in that way, we could define church as the, the local church is the gathering of God's sheep. Can I get a... There we go. The local church is the gathering of God's sheep who have been saved, baptized, and now follow their shepherd's voice. 
That's the way John describes Christians. God is our shepherd. Jesus gave up his life for us. God cares for us through little flocks called churches that we might flourish and invite other people to join us. That's his plan. It's fairly simple, and it's working. It's working. God is growing his flock all over the world. Now, I say all of that to get to to this sentence. Our shepherd's design, according to the scriptures, is to lead and care for us, his sheep, through a specific structure. The Bible spells it out for us. It tells us, here's the way the church will best flourish and fulfill its duties. And that's through members who care for each other, deacons who serve, and elders who lead. So what you hold in your hands or sitting next to you is a bylaws proposal that we believe faithfully represents God's design for his church. Now, it's imperfect, I'm sure, because it's, it's written by people. We currently have deacons, but only men. Qualified and called women ought to have the joy of serving in that role. So that's one of the things you'll find there. We have members, and we're increasingly understanding the Bible's great emphasis on our shared life. But we need to continue to assume more godly, healthy, helpful responsibility for one another and all mutually understand what those commitments are. You see a step in that direction. And we only have one elder. There is no church in the Bible with one elder. Jesus says the church, churches, should be led by a plurality of elders. So those are the main changes that are in the bylaws in your hands. So in summary, if I could summarize those, we would believe women can and should be deacons. Membership is of much greater importance than we may have thought. And we need more elders than just me. Now, why all of this? Because this is chiefly how the shepherd Jesus leads and cares for his sheep. Through members caring for each other, deacons serving, and elders leading. So with that, by way of introduction, look on page um, three of the bylaws, proposed bylaws that you hold. If you look down in, under article four, where it says church leadership. Everybody see that? Okay. Let me just read that first paragraph to you. Section one, governance generally. Church on Mill shall be governed by a biblical structure, namely congregationalism, eldership, and diaconate. The members and elders shall be mutually accountable to one another. Members are responsible to follow elder leadership, and elders are responsible to bring before the members the biblically identified issues set forth in the first bullet point below. Let's just read that next bullet point and then I'll stop and make a few comments. So, defining what does it mean for a church to be a congregational church? Church on Mill is congregationally governed. God entrusts the final authority of and responsibility for the local church to the members. This is expressed biblically in four areas of decision making. So in other words, in addition to the Dozens of times the scriptures say, 
love one another, serve one another, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, exhort one another, admonish one another. In addition to all of the one another's, the Bible says specifically that the elders of the church have no authority to make particular decisions, that those are congregational decisions, that the members of the church should be given all the information they need in order to prayerfully, carefully, wisely make certain decisions together. And here's what the scriptures say those are. The members are responsible for preserving unity and promoting holiness in matters of significant dispute between members. A couple of passages where that's found. Guarding the gospel message by removing elders who teach a false gospel. Protecting the purity and reputation. What a lovely sound. Of the church by overseeing her membership. And affirming the church's budget and office holders. So what we're attempting to communicate is that we would believe local churches are to be governed by the members, that God entrusts the final authority of and responsibility for the church in the church members. So live out the one another's and be substantially involved such that you can make those decisions and make them well. The second bullet point says um, eldership. Church on Mill is elder-led. God cares for, teaches, and protects the local church through a plurality of qualified and called men who share these pastoral responsibilities. Those are spelled out in detail below. Um, it's the most substantial addition to the bylaws. We won't read it tonight, but just to point it out to you. And then finally, diaconate. Dave, this is what... A diaconate is. I heard you holler a minute ago. Church on Mill is served by deacons. God frees the elders to concentrate on spiritual oversight and provides for the physical care, administrative needs, needs and day-to-day -day functioning of the church through qualified and called men and women. Friends, what you hold in your hands is um, a labor of, of love. Six years ago, a group of men and women known as the leadership team committed to reading every word of the New Testament to see what God says about the church. So they literally together started in Matthew and kept going till there wasn't anything else left to read. They met weekly. This took just over a year. God blessed that time uh, tremendously. The end result was a list of biblical realities that's driven us as a congregation ever since. Every change that has been made, every enhancement that's been made in the last six years as a church rose directly out of those biblical statements. Things like our church constitution, our emphasis on membership, internships, expositional preaching, gospel communities, helping other churches to be healthy. Now the bylaws that you're holding is a proposal that's merely another step in our quest to honor God as our head, to honor Christ as our life, to place him as our shepherd. Churchill Mill has a long history of seeking to be a biblical church that outdates, I think, anyone in the room. Maybe you, Wally. Were you here, the very original part of Churchill Mill? I think you were, weren't you? Pretty close. It's been a while. 58, 
That's how old you are? <laughs> By the way, your dessert was the best one back there. No offense to all the rest of you. <clears throat> Churchill Mill has a long, long, long history of seeking to follow God. And this, friends, tonight is merely another act of obedience, seeking to be faithful to God. We want to be a church that hears the voice of God in the Bible and willingly follows. At our last members' meeting, you commissioned Scott Waitfield to lead this task. Five additional members joined him, and for many months, uh, they met often and were tasked to revise only those portions of the bylaws pertaining to leadership. This will be an, an often asked question, so if you could listen very carefully to this point, it would be very helpful to you down the road. Here's what's different in the bylaws and what, what isn't. Um, very minor wording changes for consistency throughout the document were made to Articles 2 and 3. Nothing changed in one. Article 4, which is what we've been reading, is the bulk of the proposal. It's entirely rewritten. So in your hands is what Scott has been calling the clean version of the bylaws, meaning there's no markings in it. And then behind it is what the team has been referring to as the red line version, which simply means the changes noted, any changes that have been made, are denoted in a way that you can see. Here's what's been added. Here's what's been adjusted. Here's what's been taken out. So all the work the team did, its end result, is, is here. The first version would be what we're proposing the church adopt. The second is to give you more full information so that you can see what has changed. You'll see there, as you look at it at another time, that Article 4 is substantially rewritten, entirely rewritten. And then finally, the last article, Article 10, has been added on the transition process. So these people have, have done a great job, and I would like to publicly thank them. Uh, half of the team is in East Asia tonight on a mission trip. They're serving alongside um, Patrick and Becky Patterson, who were interns here. That's the kind of people who rolled up their sleeves to do the hard work of rewriting bylaws, the same people who would get on a plane and go a long ways away. They're wonderful people. So thank you them as you are able. So what's next? Let me talk you through a little bit about how we'd like to order this process in a way that's most helpful. Our request to you is that you would study the proposed bylaws carefully and be prepared to vote for or against them on September 20th. Now that's four months and three days from now. It's a long time. Why would we take that long? Well, here's the process we'd like to use. Because this is a substantial change, because the final decision rests in your hands, and because we want to do this in a full spirit of love and transparency, we want there to be plenty of time for people to ask questions, to give input, to make comments, and for there perhaps to be revisions even to the proposal that you've been given. Nothing is more important than how the shepherd cares for his sheep. So what you're looking at isn't merely a legal document. It's an understanding of God's love and care for us by describing how the shepherd 
says in his word, the sheep are to be cared for. That's a precious thing. It's not to be taken lightly or rushed through quickly simply for expediency's sake. You personally need the church to get this decision right. We all do. The care of our souls is at stake in this process. And Tempe needs us to get this right. We're providentially plopped down in the middle of tremendous need where a healthy, vibrant church is a necessity. And God put us here long, long, long ago that we could be faithful like those who have gone before us. So please actually read these. Write down your questions and concerns. More importantly, look at your Bible. Talk with people who are on this team and in leadership. Express what you're excited about. Express what you're concerned about. And prayerfully be engaged in this process. As Tad said uh, this morning, I think you used the word, where are you? I think you used the word bottom, did you not? Bottom. Uh, on your bo- under your bottom, in the words of our executive pastor, is a list of key dates. Uh, it looks like this, or perhaps some of you like this, all right? On one side is a list of events for the summer to be aware of and be mindful of. On the other side, it says um, upcoming events. We have given a lot of opportunities for all of us to be engaged uh, in this process. Over the next four months, we'll have connection classes, special Q&As, a sermon series towards the end of the summer, and additional members meetings. These are all designed to promote discussion among the body and reasoned, wise, godly conversation. They're designed to preserve unity by giving frequent, smaller environments where you can ask questions and give input. And it may be that through these processes, you come up with wording changes that would better reflect what the scriptures say. If so, we'd love to hear those. It may be that you've had a negative experience at another church, that you may be concerned about this church repeating. We'd love to hear that. It may be that you have questions about how a particular passage of scripture influenced the way in which something was written in Article 4. We'd love to hear that. These meetings are for you. And to put it bluntly, God expects that you would be well informed of his teachings about the church because he expects you to be able to make decisions for the church. So these meetings are for your good. Additionally, when you leave tonight, you'll notice in the back there is a variety of additional reading. There are a, four, one, two, three, four, five additional uh, papers back there. Did we collect any of them? Okay. Okay, great. Uh, so five became three. Thank Julie for that. Yes? Thank Julie for that. Yes. Um, so what you'll find in the back is, uh, are the documents that drove um, the changes in the bylaws. And so if you merely read Article 4, you will not be near as helped as if you read these position papers that are not um, pragmatic, they're, they're theological. They describe what the Bible teaches about 
um, elders, pastors, overseers, those are all biblical synonyms. They describe the qualifications the scripture gives for the characteristics and gifts of elders. And then there is one that describes um, deacons and what deacons are to do and deacons and their qualifications. Those are all in the back. And uh, those have been already, I think, disseminated, perhaps except for the deacon qualification paper. The rest of them have all been distributed prior to tonight. But take those, read those, and most importantly, read the scripture passages associated with them. The Bible is to be our driving authority. Amen? In 2011, may have been 12, when was that, Tad, that we adopted the Constitution? 11. In 2011, the, the body of Churchill Mill adopted a, a church constitution, and our first distinctive, our first characteristic as a church is we said we wanted to be a people that are Bible-believing. So tonight is a, a fruit of your statement of that several years ago. And so the Bible ought to drive this decision for us. It ought to be the reason that we would make that change. So look at the scriptures. Finally back there is uh, the third document that's simply an FAQ. Um, as you read, in particular the bylaws probably, a whole host of questions will probably come to mind. Understand that those questions don't make you um, skeptical, unruly, or unwilling to listen and follow. In fact, probably they indicate the opposite. They indicate a desire to be well-informed and to help the body make a good decision. Many of the questions you'll likely ask, we've tried to answer in written form so that you could see it and ponder on it. And so the team that put the bylaws together also did that work. Additionally, for those of you who are substantially high achievers, I have given... I've brought two books I'd love to give away tonight. Um, one of those is called Elders in Congregational Life. Um, anybody here tonight who's come from a church that had elders but was not congregational? Uh, so say a Presbyterian church. Anybody in that kind of setting? So a few of you. Anybody not have any idea what the word congregational means? Like, it's indigestion and I need some Tums. Please, no one wants to admit that. Um, the Bible gives an, an interesting reality, and that is some of the sheep he calls to be under-shepherds. You want to see that? The most clearly look at 1 Peter 5. Those people are called elders or pastors. Only one place in the Bible are they called, in the New Testament, are they called pastors. Um, Ephesians 4. The, the dominant way they're referred to is, is elders and, and overseers. But it refers to a plurality, a group of people who help lovingly lead, protect, guide, care for, set example to the body. It also says that the, the members ultimately have responsibility for the church. So those parties have got to work together in harmony and in love and in mutual commitment. That's called congregationalism and elder leadership. There's another kind of church leadership called elder rule in which the body does not make any decisions usually. Uh, the standard book out there 
um, that I'm aware of, at least in modern English, is called Elders in Congregational Life. It's by a guy named Phil Newton. Anyone that's particularly interested in the issue and you would be willing to read it, give me a hand. Wow. No, Andrew. I wasn't looking at you. You already read the scriptures. Their hand was actually up first behind you. You'll bring it to, that's what you were doing all along, was it not? I have another in the office. Would you follow up with me and I'll give it to you? Plus, that was a two for one. They live together. All right. Um, just by way of encouragement, um, I was at a um, Nine Marks Pastors event uh, two weeks ago. The man who wrote that book was there. I didn't know he would be there. And um, he's... I don't think quite twice my age, but likely close to it. And I was able to sit down with this man over lunch and say, here's what we're about to do. Can you simply speak out of your wisdom and help us? And he gave time for that. Isn't that a blessing to us? Not only did he do that, but a few days ago I got an email from him and he said, uh, our church family, so he pastors a church in Colorado, our church is aware of what's happening at Church on Mill. We prayed for you as a church family today, and we'll walk faithfully with you. Let us know if we can help. The body of Christ is a wonderful thing. So enjoy. Phil is a great guy. Now, a separate book that I'd like to give away today uh, is called By Whose Authority? Elders in Baptist Life. So some of you would rightly have the question, how does these, how do these changes that we're proposing in Article 4 mesh with the rest of uh, Baptist history. And it's true that s many uh, Baptist churches do not have elders today. Some of them uh, have people they call deacons that act more like elders. Uh, many of them have elders. There's a growing trend towards that. Um, Mark Dever, who is a world-class pastor and scholar, has done a great work at helping articulate um, Elders in a Baptist setting. So somebody that is interested in that topic, I would love to read this book. This is bonus additional Shane. Come on down. You are the next contestant on... It looks short. There is, there is no pictures, brother. Oh, no coloring? Nope, no coloring. Sit down. So uh, we are happy to get and pay for more copies of those. So if you would like that, please follow up with uh, Julie, Tad, or me. That's Elders in Congregational Life or um, Elders in Baptist Setting. That's an addition to the books in the back. In uh, conclusion, we will have a variety of reactions to these proposals. Um, this has literally been years in the making. And uh, I've watched and even myself had a variety of reactions to what the scripture says. Please understand that's normal. That's a natural part of growth, of learning, of discerning together what the scriptures say. So let's be charitable towards one another. Give each other ample time and space to ask questions and to have a variety of re reactions. But in all those reactions, may we display love and unity. And may we reveal just how powerful the gospel is by loving each other well 
in this process. So I'd like to pray uh, over us and then invite you to pick up uh, materials. They're in the back to my right, just in front of the sound booth. Again, there's three papers there. There is a membership directory on the, what do you call that thing? On the credenza? Credenza. As Nick would say, the, the table thingy in the entryway. Spoken like a hairy man. And we would love um, to hang around as long as you would like individually to begin to ask uh, initial questions and conversations. But our hope tonight would be that mainly we would leave in the joy of hearing how God has restored a marriage and brought together a brother back into the fold. And that we would be mindful of the process that we're about to begin. This is a process the church has already done for a variety of other things. It's a sign of health. It's a sign of growth. And to actively ask you to make a commitment to be fully engaged in the next four months, to be thinking, praying, talking, reading about bylaws till they're coming out your ears, and to pray above all else that God would give us clarity together as a church family. Let me pray for us. And as I pray, um, Kent, would you also come? And um, brother, you killed it this morning with your prayer this morning. That was wonderful. And um, if I could, I will open us and then ask if you would close us. Father, your uh, presence here is obvious. We give you great thanks that we get to be just one of your churches, just one of your bodies of Christ here in Tempe. And we want to do that well. We want to be faithful. Thank you that the room has this many people in it who you have called to not merely affiliate with, to not merely walk an aisle and sign a card and get their names put on a roll, but to become a living, active, breathing member, appendage of the body. Father, I know you more because they have done that. And may that be true for all of us. And we would pray together that you'd give us supernatural wisdom, charity, unity, and discernment as over the next several months we talk together, study the scriptures, pray, read these papers, and ultimately come to a point of decision in September about our understanding of your leadership. We thank you, Father, that the reason we're gathering tonight is not that there's some great problem. It's not that there's conflict. It's not that there's an issue of dissension. It's that we love each other and we want to be faithful to your word. We praise you and thank you for that. 
We pray the same would be true in September and in many more members' meetings after that. Father, guide us as we read. Empower us as we seek to understand. And we pray that ultimately the the result of this would be more Christ-like among us, more Christ-likeness among us, and more members, more people who have come to Christ. And Father, I want to thank you for all that you have been doing through this church. God, it was so amazing to hear Roger and Jennifer speak tonight and to hear how you have worked and how you have accomplished amazing things in their lives. And it's not just in them, it's in us because they're part of this body. And we are so grateful to be part of what you have done. We're so amazed at how you have have done that. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Father, as we as we begin this process of contemplating the bylaws, I pray that that you would bring a spirit of unity upon us. That even in in the midst of asking questions and and asking hard questions about where are we going and what are the details and um all, all the things that are important about understanding the bylaws and moving forward, that ultimately your spirit would bring us unity, that you would be lifted up and glorified and honored in this process, and that, that we who are here as part of this body and, and those who are looking in from outside would say, that just can't happen unless there's unless God is here. And that that even this process of changing bylaws would be something that would lead people to follow you. Yeah. And that your name would be lifted up and glorified and honored. We thank you again for all that you have done. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kent. And thank you to all of you for being here tonight. Stay as long as you like and make sure to pick up those materials. You're dismissed.